He didn't want his sadness to bother other people. But that kept him away as well, isolated and disconnected from people because of his fear to be vulnerable. We are not kind to ourselves. We are not kind to our emotions. We don't sit with you know, our unpleasant feelings and ask the feelings, what are you trying to tell me? Hello, you're listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast, the podcast that explores learning in the 21st century with educators, leaders, and entrepreneurs from around the world. I'm your host, Ling Ling. I'm also the founder and director of Spark Learning Solutions. We help to build thriving organizational cultures and create effective intercultural collaboration through education, coaching, and consulting. The world has become increasingly interconnected, yet our individual lives seem to be ever more isolated. People glued to their smartphones, tablets, or laptops at almost all hours of the day, ignoring the people around them, each of us walking in our technological bubble. Does this stunt our capacity as individuals and as a society to connect with each other on an emotional level? Does this lifestyle decrease our ability to constructively express our emotions? What can we do to reconnect with the people around us? Joining us is Eva Sun, an experienced art therapist based in Singapore. She works with children with trauma, elderly with dementia, and people with physical disabilities. She is also a dear friend from our younger days in Malaysia. Welcome, Eva. Hi, Lingling. It's nice to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you could join us today, Eva. Mind if you could share with us or with our listeners what is uh, art therapy? Art therapy is an expressive therapy that uses the creative process and also the product to facilitate holistic healing on a physical, mental, and emotional level. Interesting. So, how did you decide to become an art therapist? I've always been very passionate about art ever since a child. I think it was after my tertiary education, I decided to pursue my master's in English literature because I was such a nerd and I just loved studying. At the time, I was doing a paper on Margaret Atwood's two of her books. Uh, one is called Surfacing and another one, Cat's Eye. And I think in Cat's Eye, one of the protagonist uh, she was also an artist and she used art to facilitate healing she was bullied as a child and as she grew up you know she used a lot of imageries to make sense of what she was experiencing yeah so I was reading a lot and at the same time I was also painting and exhibiting art gallery called small talk with the moon it was a very romantic name Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and at that time, I was also introduced to something called color therapy. There were some similarities to art therapy as well. So all that, I think, uh, fell just right into place. And I realized that I am really interested in this thing called um, art therapy. And 
then I decided to pursue my education in Singapore. So our topic for today is emotional literacy. And as with anyone seeking knowledge, we go to the first place, which is Google. So once I Googled up emotional literacy, this definition came up. There's an American psychotherapist. His name is Claude Steiner. Uh, according to him, emotional literacy is made of the ability to understand your emotions, the ability to listen to others, and empathize with your emotions. It is also the ability to express emotions productively. To be emotionally literate is to be able to handle emotions in a way that improves your personal power and improves the quality of life around you. For you as an art therapist, how would you define emotional literacy? As an art therapist and as a person? <laughs> yeah, why not? Person, art therapist. So I think in my line of work, I realize many people who come to me because are not attuned to how they feel or they somehow felt it's overwhelming to feel um, a certain way about their relationship or work or in general. I work with uh, people with physical disabilities so because of their birth defects or their hearing impairment and visual impairment, sometimes they feel a certain way. For example, there was this boy, he's, he's already a teenager actually, and he made an artwork where it was of a male figure and he was crying. And obviously he's feeling very sad because of his uh, physical disabilities. But there was also, the clouds was also raining. So it represented a disguise to his tears. He didn't want his sadness to bother other people. But that kept him away as well, isolated and disconnected from people because of his fear to be vulnerable. That's very profound. Why do you think it is important to have emotional literacy? I think if you look at the big picture, at society at large, and all the world problems, the war, the injustices, people fighting with each other, the discrimination against people that are different from us, it's because at the core, we are not kind to ourselves. We are not kind to our emotions. We don't sit with you know, our unpleasant feelings and ask the feelings, what are you trying to tell me? Why am I feeling this way? It's a very hate-centered society which prides rationality and logical thinking. But a large part of our brain, I was reading or hearing uh, from somewhere that about 90% of our brain actually is intuitive and emotional and creative. So we thrive on that. So if we are disconnected from our feelings, if we are not emotionally literate, we are at risk of being disconnected with ourselves and disconnected with other people and then from the community. And that's why there are so much fragmentation that you see. Could you describe what a person who has high emotional literacy look like? I'd say um, people who are more emotionally literate, perhaps more conscious and self-aware, people who have achieved a certain level of self-understanding. They have been dealt with, you know, life difficulties and they have come to a place where they have sat, you know, with how they felt and gotten very honest about it. And then they are kinder maybe yeah and more empathetic 
I have my bad days as well. I wouldn't call myself a totally emotionally literate person. <laughs> <laughs> I have some days when I, I felt a certain way and I'm like, you know, I don't really want to sit with this feeling. It, it's painful. But then if you don't, you will have to face with it sooner or later as well. So as an art therapist, I make art about it. I write. Mm. Yeah, I engage in a lot of uh, self-reflection through journaling, art making. Other people might do it through meditation. For some people, maybe music is their thing. Exercise is their thing. I think a lot of different things allow you to, to do your own inquiry. Probably it's a process as well. It's a process of forgetting and remembering. I have the tools to check in with myself for all these years that I was studying and learning and making art. But it's easy to forget as well so it's a daily practice for me but for some people they need extra help i felt like i have the privilege of you know having education having the ability to go to school and then you know reading about all these things but not everyone had that access like everything it needs to be learned and taught that, that kind of ties in nicely with my next question which is what do you believe are the reasons why some people find it difficult to express their emotion I think as a society, we are not taught or even encouraged to explore. Mm -hmm. There's something called the collective unconscious. It's a certain way of thinking or um, regarding a problem or issue on an unconscious level. So, for example, like I said, I mentioned about how our society prioritizes um, left brain thinking. Yeah, so it's very action-oriented, doing, achieving solving problems it prioritizes structure hierarchies yeah but the expense of you know being in the present moment being attuned to your own emotions your intuition being at this space of softness and being connected to nature to people to each other these are the things that i felt what is important but maybe as a society we are taught that we need to be survivors so we fight and we work hard. There are some cultures that encourage the expression of emotions, whereas there are other cultures who discourage it. And each of these cultures have different perception on how you express your emotions, whether you do it or not. So what are your thoughts around culture and emotional literacy? Interestingly, I was just talking to my art therapist friends the other day, and we talk about how our Cantonese heritage regard crying <laughs> just a simple act of crying right so uh, it was during one of the sharing and yeah as art therapists we are very attuned to our emotions so we there are some tears and then we talk about you know this just act of crying and my friend said that there's an expression in Cantonese that says you know if you cry you are bringing shame to your entire family oh, seriously yes <laughs> How do you say it in Cantonese? Do you remember? I think it's called Hamsoika. So if you are brought up with that kind of value, if you feel sad or unjust about certain things and you cry, and your parents would probably say, you know, don't cry, you're bringing shame to your whole family. So I think it's a very Asian thing as well. It's tied to um, the loss of face. Asians, we value our face a lot and we don't want our children to cry and then you know our 
relatives to think that oh my goodness my child is a weakling yeah maybe it's rooted in how far our culture has come you know perhaps it's due to the olden times when our ancestors they need to survive they need to survive the war and poverty that they have no time for emotions they don't allow for that because they need to work very hard to get their bread right I remember my parents and my grandparents briefly sharing their story about the time during the Japanese occupation and life after war. And I could see the impact that it had on them. So my grandparents, or at least my grandmother, she often worries that we have nothing to eat. And if we're not eating, that means we must be starving. So every time I visit my grandmother, uh, she would make sure that we would always have something to eat. And that kind of influenced the way my mother treated me and my brothers as well. So I can see how uh, such a big event like the Japanese occupation can have an impact on culture, on the way people behave, and their openness to wanting to express their emotions. So when it comes to culture, there are different reasons why certain cultures, they encourage expressing of emotions while others do not. But let's think about this from a different perspective. Let's take the workplace, for example. There are many people I speak to and they talk about how their company is going through a restructure, how they're expected to hit unreasonable KPIs or especially a really high number. So I can imagine that the workplace would be operating in a survivor mode. I can also imagine that if a company is in survivor mode, that expressing emotions, especially when you're feeling tired or burnt out, it's not particularly a safe thing to do. Yeah, I think... That's a shame, I think. That's because uh, we don't have the tools and the knowledge to do that. Most people are functioning, you know, on a survival mode. And then they do the same things to keep going. For example, um, I see uh, lots of burnout, right? People are unhappy and, yeah, they need to work hard to achieve KBI and they're actually very, very exhausted and tired. But then because of the lack of awareness and the lack of attunement to how they are feeling, how their body is responding to all the stresses, they deal with the problem by accepting more work because they think that it's going to help with their self-esteem or they think it's a sign of weakness to, to actually say, you know, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. Actually, it's not. It's actually strong to be vulnerable. It does require some degree of courage, vulnerability, and awareness to be able to say, hey, I'm tired now. Can we work on this tomorrow? But what may happen to someone who has low emotional literacy and working in a high-pressure work environment? What may happen to them if they don't take the courage to express their emotions or to improve their emotional literacy? I think at the worst, mental breakdown or a nervous breakdown could happen or, you know, people would just leave the workplace. But then you create the same cycle because you don't address it. And if you go to a new workplace with the same kind of unconsciousness or unawareness to what you need and how you're feeling, you're going to just repeat the cycle. I felt that um, all of us have that responsibility to take charge, I think, and like have that courage and uh, that openness to do the inquiry work. Like, let's say, this is how you feel. 
uh, I'm really tired and I'm exhausted and yeah first I think you have to own up to how you're feeling that is when you get back your personal power so a lot of us I'm sure you're aware people think that in Singapore the the strength we have is the ability to complain <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I think it's actually because I would say complaining is just unresolved emotion in verbal action I think people complain because they are trying to solve an unmeet need they're trying to solve it by complaining and making sense of it trying to talk their way out of the problem trying to diffuse a certain degree of anger or sadness but complain rarely works because at the core you haven't really gotten down to the root of why you're feeling this way so if you're trying to go to the, the other person which is usually like your colleague mm-hmm. at the workplace and then other people are also very very overwhelmed with their work they don't have the time and space to listen to you you have that responsibility to to take care of your own needs to take care of your own self because yeah, if you don't take care of yourself who else will take care of you right because everyone is too busy with their own life and their own emotions and all that yeah but what if you are aware of what you are feeling to some degree maybe higher emotional literacy compared to other people but you are placed in a an environment that is toxic that is not safe for you to share your emotions mm-hmm. if i say i'm feeling tired or i'm not happy about something in return i might get people who will blame me who will, who will say i'm weak who will criticize or make fun of me and hearing all of that of course will make me feel even worse how can this person express emotions even though they're in a place that is unsafe um that's why here i am as an art <laughs> therapist <laughs> i'm trying to say that it's okay to seek help mm-hmm. when you feel overwhelmed and you need somebody to talk to yeah but if you're not comfortable seeing a therapist yet you can use tools like writing and art making to help you yeah diffuse your frustration or anxiety yeah but it helps to talk to people that you can trust as well problems keep us isolated if we don't share and if we feel a certain degree of shame to it and then we keep it quiet to ourselves yeah, yeah. so if you are feeling a certain way be okay with feeling that way and sit with it for a moment name and label the feeling it helps so another thing that i've observed especially in our modern life and maybe it contributes to the emotional literacy of our society is that uh, i see perhaps there might be a correlation between our lives being more technological focused mm-hmm. rather than taking the time to reflect and connect with other people so i'm not too sure what your opinion is about that i think everything you know has its light and dark side so it depends on how we as human beings use it yeah we always have the choice like for you you are using podcasts to connect with more people so you are coming from a place of awareness that this is what you want to do and you have a very clear intention so you are using technology in a way for you to reach out to more people and that's great Well, I was at a time in my life where I 
used to play games on commute. <laughs> and I find it a way to escape maybe, to disconnect to things. Yeah, So it can be a bit numbing, but also stimulating. Yeah, I think it depends on how you choose to use it. So I think the key word is really coming back to being aware. Like how do you want to use your time and technology? Do you want to use it to disconnect or connect? Yeah, do you want it to use it to escape or be more even more isolated? But rather it's more of your personal choice how you want to use it. And if you are not aware that you're making this choice, then that means what you need to work on is your self-awareness. Yeah, I think most people who use um, technology with awareness, they already have that awareness in their normal you know, day-to-day living. And then that is an extension of who they are and how they express themselves when they use technology. But when it comes to expressing emotions, right, we've been talking about negative emotions so far, but a part of me also thinks like, isn't it also bad to express or unhealthy to express emotions like hatred, anger, jealousy, because expressing it might harm yourself and as well as the people around you, right? So I think it all boils down to um, like knowing the difference between how you feel and what do you do about the feeling. Yeah, so a lot of us, when we are angry or sad, we don't have the literacy or you know, the awareness to say, hey, this is how I'm feeling right now and I'm okay. A lot of us would go to the fridge and grab a cookie, you know, an ice cream to yeah, eat our emotions away. Or when we are angry, you know, we want to physically hurt or say something to hurt the person who made us angry. So that is reacting to an emotion. It comes back to the choices that you make as well. Like how do you want to use this anger constructively? What kind of actions you can take? If you have a certain uh, frustration, you can voice it out. But how do you word it? I think emotions are actually very good tools for us to learn what we need. What are underneath all this? What are the needs that are not met? So it's actually you know, a tool to tell us that, hey, this is how you're feeling. What can you do about it? What do you really want? What do you really desire? Let's say you're working in a team yes. and then you're working very hard mm-hmm. and other people are not working as hard or yeah, for some whatever reasons they are not on par, right, with mm-hmm. you? And you're feeling angry. So what is your anger trying to tell you? Yes. That you're afraid of being dragged down, right? And looking bad maybe in front of your boss. Mm. So this is the fear of looking incompetent or insufficient. It's always coming back to what is the emotion trying to tell me? It's treating your emotion like a guy, like a friend. And say, you know, asking it gently like, what do you want to tell me? Most of us treat it as if it's some kind of monster that is trying to destroy us, but it's not that scary. Yeah, I think it all comes down to, I think emotions allow you to like, set the path to what you want more in your life. Like, how do you want to feel? Like, so you can use that as a base for what you're pursuing. Like, is your job or your purpose giving you joy? Is it fulfilling? Is it fulfilling you with passion? Yeah, so that's a good indicator. I've noticed for certain groups of people that to show you are successful, the messages that they send out are usually positive messages. 
Take, for example, the recent cases of Anthony Bourdain, who is a famous celebrity chef and was found to have committed suicide, or Kate Spade, who is a successful fashion entrepreneur and she was found to have committed suicide. Everyone thought they had a successful and happy life, but in private, they may not be. They might be suffering. So there is this expectation to show that you are successful. You have to constantly put out all these successful and positive messages and not show at all what is going on. Truly uh, we share on about the all the negative emotions, right? Actually, I wouldn't really like to call them negative because they are just difficult feelings that sometimes we find it difficult to sit with, but they are not inherently negative. If we have negative feelings and, you know, at the core in our unconscious, um, we are feeling inadequate, uh, not good enough, and but we don't get to the root of the problem and we try to cover all these feelings of inadequacy or sadness or grief or anger or loss, maybe loss of someone, loss of a job, yeah, loss of a person that is close to us, and then cover it with um, positive thinking. It's actually defeats its purpose. Yeah, because you are just kind of like covering things. You don't really go to the root and heal it and to, to find what is bothering you, but you're actually distracting yourself. I think some people call spiritual bypassing. People think that they um, are a good person if they constantly, you know, strive to be better. I think that's the dark side of this self-improvement movement as well. Like we strive to become better, strive to achieve more, and then strive to be positive and to create this front where we are okay. But actually, at the core, we are not. And it's okay to not be okay. Yeah, It's okay to not be positive all the times. It's not human, actually, <laughs> to have to be positive all the time. I certainly see this on social media. And I think it's typical for anyone to post anything up on social media to only post happy pictures. Pictures of when you're smiling while you travel, pictures of really fantastic food, pictures when you're partying. And these happy pictures, they give the impression that you're living a really good, successful and happy life. You know, and people don't really see what goes on behind that. And that, I think puts pressure on everyone else to also keep up with appearances, to only show positive images and to sweep the things that are difficult under the carpet and not acknowledge it at all. I think our, our obsession with, you know, painting a perfect picture says a lot about our need or our discomfort with all the things that make us less perfect. Yeah. And I think our unpleasant emotions sometimes make us feel imperfect yeah. yeah like why am i you know in such a vulnerable place why am i like this am i normal <laughs> yeah i think these are the questions people ask is it is it normal for me to have this anger or rage or sadness because we don't talk about it right so we assume that other people are not feeling the same way but if you really go deep and meet a person on that emotional level you will see that we are more similar than we are different and then when we are able to connect on the emotional level we don't feel so disconnected with each other 
So let's say I realize that I'm not as emotionally illiterate and I want to be able to improve my ability to express emotions. What first steps would you recommend me to do to develop my emotional literacy? Asking that question is great enough. What is the first step? (laughs) (laughs) Asking is good. Inquiry is good. Naming and labeling like an emotion like what are you feeling now? Why are you feeling this way? Yeah, just being very honest with yourself. How can I encourage other people to also be better at their emotional literacy? You got to be so comfortable yourself. I think it's an ultimate act of kindness when you're able to just sit with yourself and say, hey, you know, yeah, this is how I'm feeling. Yeah, someone said this and it hurt me. An act of radical self-love to be able to dialogue with yourself and say, this is how I feel. This is what I'm going through. This is my experience and I'm going to take full ownership of it. Yeah. So when you are able to be so gentle with yourself and be so okay with the full human experience that you are having, then you can create a space for others to feel how they are feeling and be who they are. And then when they come into your space, they feel so relaxed. They feel like, oh, finally I am able to just relax and be myself. So how can art therapy support the development of emotional literacy? So art therapy is really empowering platform because it is a space for the art therapist and the, the client or a participant to come together and make art. And the artwork is a vessel for the art therapist and the client to talk about this artwork. And the artwork usually is a symbol of how the client is currently thinking, feeling, and processing his or her problem. So everything about the process, the way that the client is moving and maybe the way he or she was painting and punching, molding the clay, how the forms and shapes and colors come together, it all tells a story. So it's a very precious platform because it, it's a safe space where the client can make something and then our therapist will be a witness to that process. Thank you so much for joining us in this podcast show, Eva. But before we go, do you have any parting advice for our listeners about emotional literacy? I think the primary thing is really self-awareness and then be really gentle and kind when difficult emotions arise and celebrate if you are feeling joyful and happy as well yeah do more of that and yeah see where it takes you so like just inquire and see like what you want to feel and how you want to feel more in your life and do that and if you are feeling overwhelmed yeah find somebody to talk to because it's not a shameful thing to ask for help and yeah there's a lot of therapists out there with different kinds of modality and art therapy is just one of them there is music drama dance and talk therapy it's not a sign of weakness to look for help a sign of strength because it means that you are brave enough to look within and change thank you so much Eva for being on the show thank you Ling Ling I've enjoyed myself (laughs) 
that was seasoned art therapist and fellow podcaster Eva Sun. We were just talking about the importance of emotional literacy. Highlights of this show and contact details of our guest is available on our website at www.culturespark.co/podcasts. That is www.culturespark.co/podcasts. In our next episode, we will speak to CEO and founder of Lumos Education Solutions. His name is King Coronel. We will be talking about the use of augmented reality and virtual reality technology in learning. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or wherever you download your podcast. If you believe this podcast show will help a friend or family, please share this episode with them via social media or your podcast app. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast.